Okay, so last night I was reading a bunch of HP Lovecraft style like horror modules to mm-hmm. run in Call of Cthulhu, which mm-hmm. is the type of game that you and I play yeah. for this show. I know that. I'm an expert. Of course at you these do. Games. Of course yes. you do. Yeah. So I'm 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 kicking around the idea of running my first game. And I want to do Call of Cthulhu um because it's a little bit less like it's a little bit more eerie and cinematic than it is like lots of plot twists yeah. and that sort of thing. So I feel like it would be a good one to start with. Um, but so I have this book of modules, right? Mm-hmm. And I got through like two and a half of them and like whatever. Like I play I play Call of Cthulhu all the time. I don't think it's that scary. I don't like whatever. This, yeah. I'm an old hand at it. Like it's one of yeah. my favorites. I'm. It's not that scary. Whatever. But I read two and a half of these modules last night and I went to bed and I just had like the most terrifying blood soaked <laughs> dreams that Excellent. also had an extraordinary amount of nudity in hmm. them. There was lots of like naked ghost women who were just like bleeding okay. from, okay. you know, like all sorts of like creepy slashes and there were i i was riding a horse through a dirt road Uh um and i had some like children who were charges of mine that i was trying to keep track of and then they would like disappear and then Mm -hmm. i would have to like go trace after them off of the safe path (laughs) and uh, these ghosts just always have like a safe path yeah of course then gets like yeah. You can never stay on the safe path. Oh, no, no, no. And there, yeah. were, there was like a broken down, there were like broken down barns with like old, worn off, whitewashed. So anyway, it was very scary. And I woke up and I was like, man, this week is going to be absolutely blood soaked. It, it, it was terrifying, Eric. It was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so. No, that's, I'm glad that. I'm glad that you picked up your uh, your horror stuff promptly after Halloween. I think that's a nice that's a nice pick. I'm nothing if not uh, I'm nothing if not you know an early adopter. Sure, you oh, know you are very early for Halloween. <laughs> uh, many many months like 360 yeah, days early. Yeah, you're doing great. Um, so anyway, welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. With me, as always, as you've already heard, is Laura Zatz. Laura, say hello. Hello. Just change it up there. You I, hear that? Hello. I promise <laughs> that this episode will have a lot less blood in it than my dreams last night. Hmm. To be seen, I suppose. Um, That's fair. But yeah, we've got kind of a fun set of things. The celebs are at it again, folks. Um, we'll be discussing them as a as a ruling class, as an entity, and their relationship with books here in a second. But uh, before we get to any of that, um, how about the basic rundown? Yeah, so we're at the beginning of November, mm-hmm. uh, or the farthest away from Halloween we could possibly That's be. Right. Um, it's the most magical time of the year. It's the most magical time of the year. So we are going to have three special episodes for you this month. We always have a query show and a first pages show, um, and then we have kind of a floating episode available for you. So in the past, we've done larger to loon it may concerns episodes or more technical things we um 
if Eric and I get our stuff together and read the same book, then we will do mm. a writing critique episode. Last wow. month, we did an episode on sagging middles. So we are open to suggestions, people. So if you have one, send it to us. But if you are a Patreon supporter and want access to any of those three episodes, um, get on there. There's links in all of our stuff. But also, if you want us to critique your work, send them to us. We're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. It's also worth mentioning, I think, on that front, in case people aren't familiar with how Patreon works, like, if you sign up right now, you get access to the entire back catalog. Like, literally like, entire days worth yeah, of stuff. So right now, it's like, yeah, years worth of query content and first page stuff, all the, spe- all the other special episodes we've done. Like, if you've ever been, like, on the fence about whether or not to, you know, kind of throw in a few bucks and see what you can get. Like, it's a really good value. For $8 <laughs> a month, point. you yeah, get, like, like, literally two days worth of content. Anyway, just just throwing it out there. If you've ever been kind of thinking about it, like, now is a pretty good time to, to get on board. Yeah, but, excellent. Well, should we dive we've in? Got, we've got a new segment. We do. Um, we're very excited about this new segment. It comes on the heels of... Uh, last week when we had those two um, good friends, I'm going to call them, down in Antarctica where one was stabbing the other for ruining books for him in yep. the remote wilderness. Yep. Um, they so- were also reading Lovecraftian <laughs> horror. Yeah. Um, this segment, um, be it historical or contemporary, whatever direction we decide to take it, is called What's Going On Down There? Um, and, it, <laughs> and it is about just stuff that is far away. Um, and so you'll see how it connects here. Um, so tell us. Tell us what we've got this week. Yeah, Um. so this segment of what's going on down there, which is about everything happening in the Southern Hemisphere, Mm -hmm. um, we're talking about Australia. Specifically, we're talking about Australian book thieves. Hell yeah. So uh, I stumbled across a very kind of obscure, to probably people in the United States, um, an obscure piece of news on a nice radio program about how in the late 1890s in the early 1900s, there were a huge rise in book thievery, and it was a huge Mm -hmm. deal, right? So this was covered in newspapers and library journals. It was this huge phenomenon. And in Victoria, there was actually an offense created to cover the stealing of books specifically from libraries and universities. And the sentence for stealing one book carried a, a sentence of up to one year in prison. Mm, man. Versus three months if you just stole like anything else. Like literally anything else. They had else. to really make it about the books. They really <laughs> made it about the books. Now, so you and I enjoy a good, we enjoy a good book heist. Yeah, we love them. And we enjoy a good scam. When it comes to certain, I guess we don't enjoy the good scams. We enjoy talking about the good scams. Yeah. Um, though we un- unapologetically enjoy the heists. Um, steal it. <laughs> Go out there and steal, folks. Um, but, yeah, so this is this is good. We've got some history here. We've got some Australians uh, stealing things to the extent that they had to basically make it a, um, you know, a felony down there. Yeah. So here's something really interesting about Australia at the turn of the century. Right. This could go in any direction. <laughs> it really can. <laughs> yeah. So apparently, because of the, you know, in the in the in the Commonwealth, there's this idea that Australia. Nice um, job of the Commonwealth. That thank was, you. That was really nice. Thank you. I am researching a, an upcoming trip to England. Oh. Um, so in there's this idea that the the people of Australia have a sort of 
convict taint, right? Because they had the um, prisoners sent to Australia um, to be in work camps. And so by the late 1890s and the early 1900s, um, there was a really, really high rate of literacy in Australia, like more mm-hmm. so than in England, um, which is pretty fun because then when all of these books started to get stolen, it was, of course, assumed that the lower classes were stealing it. But then also there was this this secondhand question that even though they have a higher literacy rate and the literacy was rising all the time a lot of them couldn't read and this was very confusing for the public especially as all of these heists were being covered in newspapers papers and library library journals right um so what they found is that it wasn't actually the lower class that was stealing a book it was a lot of like middle and upper class people Mm -hmm. um and so so here's Here's a uh, here's a fun little bit. Um, so in uh, Melbourne, uh, there was a place called Cole's Book Arcade, which was a book department store, which I assume to mean something like an early Barnes and Noble yeah. or something. Did they have like had... a literature section, or did they replace their like when they were going out of business? Do you think they like replaced it with like a chic snack bar? Oh, I hope like so. Did in our Barnes and Nobles. I hope so. Yeah. I hope they served lots of yeah. wine. Um, <laughs> but they had about two million books and. They were thieved from. I don't know if that's actually a proper term, no, but I'm going to use it because it great. feels yeah. good. Go for it. Um, they were stolen from all the time. And eventually the the judges and the police officers got so tired of bringing t- these people to trial that were thieving thieving they actually like accused this particular store of creating thieves of honest citizens <laughs> by tempting them because unlike uh, what had previously been like anytime you would go to a shop to buy anything there would be a counter and all of the merchandise would be away and out of sight and then you'd ask specifically for what you'd want and then they'd give it to you mm-hmm. right um this department store department stores in general there's lots of like BBC shows about like the turn and the rise of the department store, right? But they had displays. Mm-hmm. So there was this idea that these items were on display and so they were tempting. Um, you know, Cole's Book Arcade also did fun things to keep people in the store by advertising with having monkeys in the store and a live band playing. We gotta bring that back. To keep people inside. Do you remember when we, so we did that episode a long ways back where we kind of designed our own bookstores. It was yeah. really early on. We didn't put show. a monkey in it. No, but I don't. I can't believe we didn't think of like live petting zoo. Like that would have been, I think, the best option in retrospect. Fun fact, listeners, and Eric already knows this, I uh, break down into tears whenever I see a petting zoo with a goat in it. <laughs> There's something about their creepy rectangular eyes and their little beards and that they like like getting their heads scritched. It is the cutest thing yeah. in the entire world. Yeah, she really likes goats. I highly recommend watching Laura watch goats. Uh, <laughs> but anyway. Um, yeah. So monkeys. They had monkeys. monkeys. And so there were so many people, especially of the higher classes. And a lot of the lawmakers didn't want to bring these these influential people to trial because there was this idea that they would offend an influential person or create like bad blood with the important class. And so they just got really mad at this bookstore uh, and they said that the steering stealing books at a place like this was an irresistible impulse. It was, quote, the male strain of kleptomania. Hmm, the male. As, 
as opposed to like the females because they were all dudes that were stealing all this stuff so it was all as opposed to like what women steal which are like ribbons and handkerchiefs and stuff um well i feel like now in the 21st century now that we're you know we're a little more progressive i think it's time for for the women to start stealing the books yeah well there was actually um an instance of a, a a family of shoplifters who were in the middle class and the police actually raided their home and when they raided the home, the police found the younger daughter in bed reading a stolen book, the title of which was, get this, Female Life in Prison hmm. was the, the book title that she was reading, <laughs> reading it stolen. Oh. Um, so that was pretty good. But yeah, so books, the male strain of <laughs> kleptomania. Man. I want somebody to write like a really serious lit fic novel yeah. about a tortured middle-aged white dude who just like has to steal books please don't please don't start saying that because i will get that book like i know you people, will which is why i we say, say it anything, anytime we say anything <laughs> on this show I, I end up getting like six queries that are like you mentioned this thing on the show and i thought i would send you my and it's always like anyway um so our next thing today um the thing that we've sort of built our episode around is something i'm personally very excited to talk about um, it's because, folks, we can't get enough of them. We could never live without them. They give all of us paltry pe- peasants any reason to live whatsoever beyond More so the, than stealing books. Beyond the ordinary crap of our own lives. I am, of course, talking about the celebs. Woo! <laughs> and more specifically than just the celebs. The literate I ones. I am talking about the literate ones. The small <laughs> subsection of literate celebrities. Um, and they're book clubs. We're talking about celebrity book clubs today. Um which I know is, it's kind of a funny thing, um, and it's always kind of occupied a weird piece of the publishing industry, you know, in terms of its attentions and its, um, you know, planning and things. Um, and of course, you know, we know the big famous one, right? There's the Oprah, you know, Oprah's Book Club is kind of, I think, the one, like, the one that should first come to mind. Yeah, it's right? been around As, for 22 years. Yeah, it's the gold standard. We can all, you know... You know, you can picture her, you know, having people on the show to talk about the books and all the selections. And, you know, there was even that stretch when, you know, she almost had to quit. She had, like, to scale back making selections because they were impacting the book market too yeah. much. Like she was and she got picking, owned yeah. by James Fry. Yeah. And then she yeah. brought him on, like, her show. And then he had to cry yeah. about how he had lied. Yeah. And his memoir was actually a novel. Yeah, that happened with, um, there was a Franzen incident, too. Really? You remember that? Oh, um, she, oh, yeah. He, like, rejected, he re- you know, because he's kind of a petulant little whiner, you know? Um, he rejected the sticker. He didn't want the sticker because he didn't want, because he, he, I guess basically his stance was, if I remember correctly, was that he didn't want to feel like his book's success was due to anyone but his own. <clears throat> Which is a really healthy attitude to have in publishing, by the way. Um, that's yeah. really that's really good. Because nobody else helps yeah. <laughs> you make a book a success. Exactly. Um, but anyway, he got really mad about it and kind of rejected it. But I think eventually they did connect and have a conversation. Um, I think it was, was it, maybe they tried on the corrections and eventually did freedom with that. I don't remember which one they actually picked. but I don't care uh, because fun- <laughs> I, I ignore as many Jonathans as yeah. I possibly can. Anyway, the point here is that within publishing... You know, the celebrity book club is sort of this big giant thing, right? And maybe, you know, the place to start as we kind of get into what these institutions are, where we're kind of at with them now. Um, Laura, maybe you could kind of begin by telling us, like, why do, you know, why do we care about this stuff? Like, why do, why is the celebrity book club 
something that anyone should be paying any attention to whatsoever. <laughs> if you're someone who is primarily concerned with, you know, with books, with, you know, things that maybe aren't necessarily just like tabloid fodder, you know? Yeah. Well, I think 20 years ago, the Celebrity Book Club was just something that like Oprah was doing, right? It was Oprah was doing it along with having her show and having her magazine and having everything else, right? Just like Oprah has favorite things and those favorite things include books. So we might as well talk about them. Right. Right. And I think over over time, those like that model has definitely appealed to celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, every once in a while, a celebrity gets thrown a publishing imprint. Like Lena Dunham has one. <laughs> Just handing them out. I was going to do like a you get an imprint, you get an imprint, which I realize is an Oprah joke. Yeah. In retrospect. Why also, didn't you do it? Because we had already just talked about Oprah. You know, I can't, we can't bang the Oprah drum so many times in one episode. I mean, I think Oprah's been banging the Oprah drum for a really long time. And so we can bang it twice. That is also Uh, true. So moving right past that failed attempted joke um, and into the fact that in 2016, 2017, but now especially 2018, other celebs have like decided that books are cool and they're hopping on the train. Right. And the and the publishers are right there with them. So most notably, most recently is Reese Witherspoon of the Bend and Snap fame. (laughs) Reese Witherspoon has a book club and she picked uh, Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. Um, Reese has also been having very much of a comeback moment because she did um, she she did that miniseries on HBO, something something Little Lies, Big yeah, Little Lies. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah. And so now what she's done is she's very much pulled her book club, which is like a less intellectual Oprah book club. It's just mm-hmm. got you know less. It's just uh, lighter fare. Um, well, it's commercial. not lighter yeah. fare necessarily. I think that the book choices are very similar. I think that the discussion questions yeah. Yeah. aren't as well formatted. Uh, as Oprah's is. But anyway, so Reese uh, Reese has this and now she is, you know, she's she's picked all these other projects and she's now turning them also into miniseries or movies or something. So, for example, Little Fires Everywhere um, is going to be adapted with restarring along with Kerry Washington. Well, so it's. It's an interesting thing, that last little bit you brought up, like the part where, you know, it seems like, you know, the celebrity book, you know, club is something that can lead to other, you know, repurposings of format, right? Or like other subrights being so like, it's a big instigator. And I think like, the reason any of us care about this, like conventional publishing wisdom says the reason you want the celeb to pick your book is because they hold enormous clout, right? Like Mm -hmm. they're people who can, you know pose with the book or say, hey, I'm reading this. And as the thinking goes in conventional publishing wisdom, that means that hundreds or thousands of people are also going to decide I should read that book because I'm a part of this, you know, this club. And I guess it's interesting to me because in some ways it kind of flies in, like it sort of flies in the face, I think, of what literary publishing, because a lot of this stuff is literary stuff, right? Like, I mean, Celestine is a literary writer, even going back to that you know, that mention, you know, that story earlier, like Franzen is a, you know, classified as a literary writer. Like these are people who you would think would kind of run in different circles than maybe like the, you know, the celebrity, you know, the book club, but they don't. And I think that you end up with these interesting things where publishing strategy ends up trying to toe this line between being very erudite and very 
you know, sophisticated and kind of to the book loving, you know, introvert crowd, but also wanting to hit the big celeb jackpot. Yeah. You know, and and that's always been fascinating to me. And it has sort of created an environment, I think, where, um, you know, there are certain people, you know, that we've decided. And here, you know, you mentioned Witherspoon. We've also, you know, seen, you know, people like Jimmy Fallon. Emma you know, Roberts. Yeah, you know, there are people with. Yeah. Um, Florence Welch from Florence and the Machine. I would join her book club. I like her. Yeah, um, I I think just I think her books are, are probably now, your. <laughs> <laughs> We've turned a one eighty. Um, There's also like an NFL player who oh, has Andrew, one. Yeah, I saw that Andrew Luck has a has a book club that actually made me laugh a little bit because he's kind of apparently a, like um, he has yeah he has two though he's got one for so this guy plays for the indianapolis colts which we've reached the end of my football knowledge (laughs) um but he has one for rookies which are for kids Mm -hmm. which are books that he loved when he was a kid yeah yeah yeah. and then and then veterans are the the adult ones but he picks like homegoing by yagiasi and stuff like that well so he's like supposed to be you know when when people talk about andrew luck he like went to stanford and he's like supposed to be like the football genius you know they like make him out to be this very erudite guy um, and so it does not surprise me that in keeping with his brand, um, he sort of has tried to kind of design a, you know, a literary book club that kind of fits to this image of being kind of the cerebral guy. But even that's actually a good segue into the the bit of this that I think is the most fascinating, which is what are the celebs getting out of this on a personal branding, though? Because like, right, like I think that it behooves like yeah. just taking Andrew Luck. You know, as a football player, for instance, who's also trying to kind of cultivate this image, and he, I'm sure that he is a smart guy, but it's very clear that he's put he's put some work into trying to come off as more than a football player, right? Like he wants to be someone, you know, yeah. with kind of a more well-rounded set of interests in the public eye, and so you get into this idea of, um, yeah, I mean, just branding, like in how you know these people want to come off. Like, yeah, it's great when your book gets picked by Reese Witherspoon. But maybe there's something more interesting in wondering aloud at what Reese Witherspoon gets out of picking your book. You know? I think it's less about what Reese Witherspoon gets out of picking your book. And and to be to be clear, what's about to come out of my mouth is going to be um, really, really uh, pessimistic. Right? Really? <laughs> um, well, I mean, it depends on how you see it. But like because everybody is so online now Mm -hmm. it's not enough to just be like a really really ridiculously good looking person and have pictures taken of you while you're getting coffee like that's not enough anymore like if you want to stay in the public eye you need to have abs and like be really interested (laughs) in how people vote you know what i mean like that actually really is a it's a fascinating point um because the way actually yeah no i really like that because it's almost like there's been this like democratization of the celeb treatment yeah right like if i want to not i guess not me specifically but like if you know someone you know you know 10 percent you know better looking than me wanted to get on and like take glossy photos of themselves and kind of come off in the way that used to only be reserved for people being having their picture taken by professionals you know in kind of this beautiful lighting like you can do that now. Like you can you can be sort of your own polished thing in the yeah. public sphere, you know. And so you're right that it does create this thing where it feels like 
Celebrities are using the book industry as a means of adding a layer of personal depth to their public personas. And maybe that's a little unfair to these celebs as individuals, because I'm sure they really like to read. But they also like it is very, very highly branded. Like Emma Watson is using her fame to bring attention to a lot of feminist causes mm-hmm. right and she which she's, on space is a good thing it's a it's a yeah. very good thing and she's yeah. very she's you know she's a very strong activist and she has a feminist book club called our share shelf shared shelf that's really hard our to share, say our share shelf <laughs> uh mushmouth uh our shared shelf it's mm-hmm. very sibilant yeah um but basically you know it's it's having to do with feminist and women's issues and that is something that she, of course, like is a, is an objectively good thing in this world, right? Like having more people read books is objectively a good thing. Having people be feminists is an objectively good thing. Mm-hmm. But also she is furthering her association with her political ideals, which then will inform the coverage around what movies she chooses <clears throat> to produce. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think for for other people it's a little bit less direct, um, but you know like Emma Roberts who um, is another Emma, another mm, Emma, many Emmas, yeah, many Emmas. Like she has her own you know like a website and that with a partner and and does that. And so I think you know it's on some level I'm thinking like maybe this is the easier more like influenced focused celebrity imprint because now it's really hard to get money right there's way less yeah there's way less like celeb imprints popping up right there and so it's like this almost works as a de facto version of that right like we we i mentioned lena dunham had a had a celebrity book imprint But that came out of the Lenny letter, which uh-huh. was some like a newsletter that yeah. had a book club component in it. It was, right. was kind of like a Thursday when I'm reading feature. And that was recently shut down because of declining readership mm-hmm. um, and probably some other prop like some issues. Um, but, you know, we've always used celebrities as endorsers. Right. We've always used celebrities as tastemakers and, you know, the faces of products and advertising, but also in recommendations. If we see somebody wearing something or drinking something or doing something, yeah. we think we can do that, too. And if we do that, we're going to be a little bit like them. Well, it's just always it's it's always been the primary means of of selling something in America. Right. Like or one of them, at least like you get the you get the celebrity in your commercial or you get them, you know, endorsing your product on your billboard and your ad. And that's what that's what moves the needle, you know. And I think that a lot of the time we don't necessarily think of books as that sort of product, right? Because yeah. it's like it kind of gets back into that idea that I feel like we end up circling back to all the time about whether or not a book is a commercial object or an artistic object, right? And this places it squarely in the you know this might as well be selling you know sneakers you know yeah. what i mean it's like, masquerading as it, artistic ex- exactly. but it really and, is commercial and so you kind of get into you know this is the sort of thing that publishing is not immune to either and it, not that it should be immune to it none of this is like an it's not obviously i mean i think you know there's a, <laughs> a base level of suspicion we should have for you know celebrities and you know that sort of things like but this isn't. This is a probably a perfectly fine thing. But I guess what always you know weirds me out about it 
is how heavily reliant, mm-hmm. like at least in years past, how heavily reliant, um, you know, publicity, you know, plans and strategies around publishing or acquisitions decisions yep. have been made on, well, okay, who can we get to adopt this book? Who can we get to be talking about it? And oftentimes that is the kind of thing that can change the entire structure of a season or can change the entire structure of whether or not a book gets picked up by someone, you know? Well, it really circles back around to the idea of the best, the best and most successful book marketing is word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And this is just like a way around that. I think (laughs) it's like the most, it's like the biggest mouth. I mean, it's it's, the idea of a big mouth, you know, reader, you know, push to, an extreme and that's what the idea of like we you know we always make fun of like instagram influencers and you know like kim kardashian like what is she famous for like is she famous for being famous like how does that work and then she you know we we give the kardashians a lot of crap for endorsing products but at the same time this is just a little bit more involved of a way that that is you know it's it's very much an endorsement and it's very much an endorsement deal. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, uh, a, a celebrity will approach a publisher or a publisher will approach a celebrity and say, here's a book we're going to publish. Do you want to pick it for yeah. or we're going to do a special print run with your questions in the back if you want to pick it? And I think that there's probably more than just, you know, a goodwill exchange of, yeah, we'll write some questions for you. Mm-hmm. Like, there's probably a lot of money changing hands. Yeah. There's probably a lot of money changing hands for at least a few of these book clubs. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's 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 another way that we're using that that idea of influence to generate word of mouth. Because what is the biggest version, like the the easiest way to get word of mouth among, you know, us plebes? And it's to get, you know, 12 women in a basement to buy the same book and then talk about it and then go home and tell everybody what they're reading for book club this month. Well, so one thing one thing about this issue that I think is going to change and we I think we both kind of landed on this point um, in when we were discussing this pre-show is I wonder how a younger generation is going to view this sort of dynamic because it's you know, you mentioned like Instagram influencers, but like. It's more and more there's these, like, people out there that a younger generation is paying attention to on various sites that they're, like, not really – it's, like, you know, the kind of famous for being famous thing. But, like, now you've got this whole spate of people like YouTube celebrities and, like, Twitch streamers and all these people who are just kind of – Around? They're just online to a degree that even I find to be horrific and alarming. (laughs) But they're just – like, I wonder how – you know, those people, like, I wonder how this kind of celeb, you know, paying attention to the celebrity, right? And or even, I mean, you could probably broaden this to, like, what does, you know, a Generation Z celebrity look like and how might they manage their brand differently than, you know, someone, you know, who's trying to appeal to us or our parents. Um, I think there's going to be difference, but I'll be interested to see if that makes its way into books at all. Because, like, young people right now, in terms of the public figures they revere... You know, there's a lot of the same sorts of dynamics, but there's like this whole new wave of things. And obviously, book YouTube is, you know, kind of getting bigger. But I just feel like there might be there might be some really cool innovation. I guess cool as in could be effective. I think it's all, you know, terrifying. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's got to, you know, 
like who's going to start marketing books on you know the Fortnite stream you know what i mean it's it's coming like there's going to be crazy stuff like that yeah somebody's going to notice like a little bit of like, like a game similarity yeah. and be like this setting reminds me a lot That's, of da 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 it's going to be you're going to get all kinds of crazy stuff like that and it's because when it you know when push comes to shove eventually the best idea publishing has is how can we get this in front of the most famous person everyone likes mm-hmm. and in resp- in response how you know a um you know, a celebrity or whatever kind of public figure trying to round out his or her brand, um, you know, they're going to look at it and say, how can I use a book as a means of fleshing out who the public sees me as? And those, I feel like those decisions are becoming more granular. They're becoming faster paced. They are... um, There is something that's more effective about a book, which is, you know, a 100,000 words of, of... examining the human condition than like a lipstick you mm-hmm. know what i mean yeah. like there there is something there is a beautiful shorthand there mm-hmm. um where the the author biography and the plot and how it's written all of that speaks a lot to y- who you are as a reader right if you say i'm going to stake my brand on this book um which you know is is incredibly clever quite honestly mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm, I am fascinated by how like the young folks find things, because man, I have nieces and nephews, <laughs> and they are so much cooler than I've ever been in my entire life, Eric. That's what I mean. Like, it's we've entered an age now where I like I've sort of drawn a line at Twitter for social media stuff. I cannot. I'm not going to pick up anything new after this. I simply like it all alarms me. It terrifies me. It <laughs> makes me want to like teach kids like you know their values you know (laughs) what would be what would be the first book for the eric hayne celebrity book club oh well we're obviously reading the yiddish policeman's union it's the only can't be your answer for everything for everything it's the only good book that's ever existed um (laughs) no i don't know i don't know what what else could we read it you could do oh i don't know i don't have a book recommendation right now i don't know i ah well I'm still, um, well, I'm interested in being, like, hip and forward-thinking, so Uh obviously something horror, Uh right? Because Halloween is 360 days away, and I just had a terrifying dream about it. I don't know, maybe some, like, cool, like, feminist, you know, like... (laughs) Like a cool, like feminist and and intersectional, like Lovecraftian horror anthology. It that sounds, would be cool. It sounds like you're ready for our harebrained scheme, is what it sounds okay. like. Okay, okay, okay. Hit me, hit me. What is it? <laughs> well, we were kind of we we kind of came into it this week, and we're doing a harebrained scheme of the week um, because thank you. You're welcome. Because you know we haven't done the segment in a while, and we you know find the need and fill it. We're full of schemes. <laughs> Um, and the one this week stems from a story that happened at a reading. I love stories recently. And I, I'm sitting there at the reading, you know, it's very pleasant. Um, it was, uh, for Megan O'Giblin, her book is called Interior States. Were there snacks? There were no snacks, actually. I know. So B plus on the reading, um, (laughs) but the the book is good. Go buy it. But anyway, um, we're all kind of standing around talking afterward. And one of my friends and authors actually, um, says to me that he had recently spoken to you, right? Yes. I and... speak to a lot of people. <laughs> you certainly do. And he turns to me and unprompted, I swear, you know, he goes and he says, so she really wants to be verified on Twitter, huh? 
<laughs> he he cut right to the heart of me, Eric. Right and to the heart. It's just it made me laugh because we, of course, have tried for years to get you very you know we know that it's the most important thing in your life we know that it's the one missing piece in your soul's landscape yeah um and so we are once again returning to the idea of what in the world do we have to do to get our good friend laura verified um and do you think the celeb book club is like the chicken or the egg (laughs) do you think it's like if i do a book club they will come that's what we need we need a laura zatz style celebrity book club Mm. and the first thing i suggest for um for your aesthetic on here i was i was i was uh perusing reese witherspoon's book club today oh my goodness she's got got this picture of her you know she's kind of like sitting um i don't remember if she's like you know on a step or in a chair or something but she's just kind of sitting there i love to sit you do. That's great. That that's gonna really play well so far. We're <laughs> off to a great start. Um, but she, um, she's sitting there and she's kind of you know got the book cover out right, kind of looking at it, smiling. You know, it's like a very sunny, nice picture. Everyone's supposed to be feeling good, but like next to her is just this grumpy ass looking dog. <gasps> and I looked at that it's picture. My dream. And I looked at that picture and I was like, I could be the dog. <laughs> it's perfect. I could be like. Well, you've got this, like, lovely, like, book scene that she's, like, painted, and there's just, like, this French bulldog that is just frowning in the picture. I'm like, <laughs> that's me. That's my entire book aesthetic right there. We nailed it. Um, so whatever you do, whatever kind of photo shoot you end up doing, I can be just, like, the grump in the corner. I want to be and... in a full sweep, like, Victorian nightgown yeah. Yeah. with, like, with like this be- these beautiful embroidered slippers and chocolate fountain yeah a chocolate chocolate fountain fountain like i'm sitting there book in one hand Mm -hmm. skewer with a strawberry on the other hand in the other hand (laughs) like right on the end and then you're just in the corner like you were a bad boy and don't get any chocolate you could pair it you could do like a book and cheese club you know what i mean (gasps) we found my soul home that's what i mean like we you know you could do all kinds of things but like if we get it enough on instagram um, oh, I do have a cheese plate, a cheese dome now. Do you guys do you guys know about this? I'm just asking dead air because we're recording this and then you guys are going to listen later. But so we got a cheese dome for our wedding and it is a marble circle that it's kind of like a um, it's kind of like a cake stand but it doesn't have the stand part it's just a marble base that has a dome on it and it's for you to keep your cheese your hard and semi-hard fancy cheeses at room temperature because that is when they're better and so you just keep them out and they like kind of get oozy and like they get like nice Mm -hmm. and then we also have in our cheese dome a bowl of olives that are covered with olive oil and lemon juice so that you can just fish out an olive whenever you want and honestly my life is so complete (laughs) So we just, we got to get this we got to get this on the gram yeah as they call the it do they dome. call it that still or am I out of link? I don't link? know why are you asking me should we be on Instagram by the way this is another good question for the listeners I listeners think. does the bird does the bird need to be on the gram do you know what we could do it and just like take pictures and post all these other loons yeah like it could be the at not loon Instagram first of all verify the the loon. Why are they? Why is our show not verified? Because I have five times as many followers <laughs> on Twitter. So if the loon is going to be verified, I will actually stab you like our friends in Antarctica. Oh God! Um, well, and then and then that's... our new segment will have to be, um, what's going on right here? <laughs> well, we have we do have one more segment to end the day. Should we should we get to it? Yes, please. 
Tulune, it may concern. Hell so yes. if you're a new listener, this is our segment where we answer the complicated publishing questions mm-hmm. by you guys. The messy Things ones. that the messy ones, the emotional ones, the ones you don't want to tweet with your real name, the ones that don't <laughs> fit in 280 characters, or even a simple email. Yeah. Um, so this is this is one that is very apropos. You know, fun question, funny, funny bit, right? Not a question. When I went to go I went to the folder with yeah. all the Tulune It May Concern mm-hmm. questions uh-huh. on there. And I picked a random one, and it was this one. Okay, that's good, because it is very on theme. It's very, very yeah. on theme. Yeah. So, Dear Lorik, in parentheses, it says, Your celebrity name, apropos, given oh, my qualm. Man, we're going to work on that a little. You know what? I was thinking about it, and if we did a celebrity uh combination of our last names it would either be uh hats or zane very terrible mm, yeah very terrible oh, hats is funny hats anyway continue, nah. anyway please continue the letter okay the letter continues <laughs> how is it that celebrities are able to publish books with seemingly little to no real effort and questionable talent in many cases well it says in some cases yeah but, but you, i think you it's seem many. To, you seem to editorialize there a little. yeah i've been reading a lot of celebrity memoirs <laughs> yeah. this this year and okay. man I could be completely wrong. Maybe they do spend years honing their craft, writing, editing, querying, and getting rejected like the rest of us. But come on, how often does that happen? I I want to know who is ghostwriting these books for said celebrities, who is representing them, and who is publishing them. It is annoying, to say the least, that for these jokers to be able to get work out there at the drop of a hat, and the rest of us must work for years and years before it happens for us, if we're lucky. Sincerely, Stupefied in Seattle. Is this the real? Before we get into the meat of the question, I feel like we've had a few different people write in with a with like a pseudonym from Seattle, and I appreciate that. Yeah, maybe it's um, just the same person just sending the, over yeah, and over and over. It's just the city where everyone is confused and mad at the publishing industry. Which um, is good because I thought it was right here in my <laughs> office. Um, okay, so the question is, how come it's easy for other people to publish books when it feels like they're not going through the same grind that, yeah. say, your standard debut novelist is going through? And I guess the first thing you know to think about there is that one, it's you know the query process only exists as a means of filtering through people that we wouldn't be able to kind of understand or come across otherwise. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. The reason that there are slush piles, the reason that there are long lines to get your work read and things like that is because there's, you know, we there's, it's just too difficult to differentiate between, you know, people I have never met before. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and so we need, we, you need a system that works on, you know, filtering through, you know, talent and, you know, writing and promising work and things like that. And so what happens is when you've got someone who is more, who has some, whether it's obviously, you know, no-brainer celebrity status, like, you know, the people we've been talking about, or even just like a really solid platform or something, that filtering, um, you know, it makes it a lot easier. And oftentimes it's not even just like the filter of who is this. A lot of the time it's like a query letter is about pitching the contents of your book mm-hmm. and a lot of times like a celebrity is their book yeah so you can just look at that person and be like yeah <clears throat> they need a book and that's and it. it's almost like and what i think is interesting and this is you know this is not going to make this person any less frustrated and i empathize with this frustration in this regard but in a lot of ways 
the inside the contents of the book are almost beside the point Mm -hmm. you know and we kind of you know we've touched on this show before between this vast divide between what feels like the no-brainer celebrity books that are sold purely based on clout of author and then the books versus (laughs) uh amy poehler yeah right and and then you've got the books that are a little bit more finely crafted by writers who have had to find fame or you know prestige purely through the merit of their own work, right? Yeah. And I guess the thing to point to there is the reason that first category is what we would call a no-brainer publishing case is because the audience is clearly defined. Yeah. If you had like if you were pitching and you absolutely knew for certain that you had like 10,000 people or you know 20,000 people who were going to buy you know who you could just count on to buy your book i promise you the line would get a lot shorter mm-hmm. you know what i mean and the point is that this these decisions like if you go into like an editorial board meeting um, most people in the meeting haven't read the book right yeah. one editor has and they found it interesting and that's why they brought it to the meeting and maybe they've shared it with a trusted colleague or something but the discussion that happens around whether or not they should buy this book, whether or not it's something that's right for this house, is very rarely about what's in the book. And it's more about the publishing case for it, which involves things like, well, is the author going to be an asset in moving copies? Are we going to be able to find a good publicity hook for this? Are we going to be able to do some marketing things that might feel fresh? And those things are all much more true the more pronounced and easy to understand uh, platform is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess on the one hand... I see why this is a frustrating dynamic, right? And I've, you know, I'm someone, you know, I don't work with, you know, celebrities, but I do, I would say a huge chunk of my list is people who had existing platforms who I reached out to, right? right. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's people who I did not find through the querying slush pile. And to, be, people... to be clear, a lot of these people who get to, like, quote unquote, yeah. skip the line, yeah. write nonfiction, not fiction. It, that's all, that is the other point, is this is mostly, this is also a conversation of, of nonfiction versus fiction. That's a, yeah, I mean, and it's, I don't know. I mean, it sort of speaks to this idea that there are intentional things you can do to help yourself even as you're writing, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it to me it speaks to the, you know, the power of having a strong platform, you know? And it's something obviously it's not everything. There's always, you know, people are reading your queries. People are um, you know, I I believe that the query process works. I think that it's I think that books that, you know, have merit get found. I real I genuinely do believe that. Um but I get I guess like with this sort of frustration you know, maybe rather than staring at it uselessly, right? Because we can all look at, you know, whether it's their book deals or whether it's anything else in life, whether, it, you know, like there, there's a lesson here, I think. And the lesson is that the more you work on your publishing case outside the book itself, the few, you know, the slightly greater chance you've got each and every little yeah. increment, you know? And I will say something to consider as well is... Oftentimes in publishing, there is this narrative of only the few, right? Like Mm -hmm. if somebody else gets a deal, a lot of the time structurally it works so that one other person doesn't get the deal, right? You know, a list only has so many spaces in it per year. Mm -hmm. The celebrity memoir, the celebrity lifestyle book, the celebrity cookbook, those are not playing in the same field as you. Like those are books that exist by themselves that actually like their earnings allow more spaces to be created. It Mm -hmm. gives publishers larger operating budgets, but 
it's also not something where it's like if one celebrity gets a book deal, like that's one less deal for you to get. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work like that because they're different types of books. They're different places. They're they're focused on different things. They're different imprints, etc. But going to your other question. So like it's it's a. I know it's frustrating, but it it it's actually an important part of the ecosystem for like if you consider yourself to be like somebody who doesn't have any tr- platform or and doesn't have any experience or anything like it's actually good for you mm-hmm. for everybody to buy, you know, you know, the Magnolia Table cookbook <laughs> at Costco. You know sure. what I mean? Um, but to answer your questions about who is ghostwriting these books uh, oftentimes the people whose names are on the cover. So it'll say like Carrie Elways, you know, with Joe something or other, right? Like that's yeah. the name of the dude that actually ghost wrote the book. Anytime you see, I think that that's actually, you can almost assuredly, I would say that with mm-hmm. is one of the most charitable, generous things that ever gets put on any cover yeah. ever. It means it's- I wrote this entirely <laughs> after I talked to you I for think, six hours I and that's think, it. Like, you know, and I, ghostwriting is... I mean, we should honestly probably just do a whole episode on it because it's so fascinating. Oh my god! And it's so much work. Like I have a lot of respect for ghostwriting. It's and it's I've so done hard. a little bit of it myself in my freelance work. But it's like a hard, and you end up doing a ton, and you've got to get the voice right, and you've got to do all these things. And um, but one of the tricky parts of it is the fact that oftentimes the person you are ghostwriting for is really super not engaged with the task of actually creating the book they're Correct. ready for the book they're ready to like have the book they're like great this yeah, is your right. job now make it right uh never mind that they need to like pull the content out of you but as for like who's representing them i mean not again, us usually not us but it, it is like again, in the same way it's a no-brainer for like a you know editorial house to pick it up it's kind of a no-brainer for an agent to take it but, on too like but what i mean by not us eric is that most of the time um, these people are having book deals done not by book agents. They're having book deals done by their talent agents, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, like, yeah. I just did a deal um, that with with one of my authors. That's a collaboration between them and the band Clipping, um, and it's a book deal, right? But right. William Morris Endeavor, who does their music and like TV stuff, mm-hmm. did the deal, which was right. a pain in the ass because they. Uh, didn't like um, literary uh, contract convention conventions, mm-hmm. Who um, does? but oftentimes like a celebrity is not going to be like, oh yeah, I have this talent agent and this manager and da 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 da. I have all of these people. Let me go find a literary agent. There are certain cases mm-hmm. where people will have a literary agent specifically, um, but most often it is not us. Yeah. So. Sorry, and you're welcome. Um, <laughs> although, if you yeah. are a celebrity, please email me. Yeah, DM me um, if you can get me verified. If you can get Laura verified. Honestly, um, I would just take the money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you, can't, you can't put a price on face. <laughs> so. uh, and then is who is publishing them? Like, anybody. Like, there are a couple of, like, notable people imprints, but usually, you know, celebrities are writing nonfiction, right? And mm-hmm. so it'll usually be... A large house imprint. Not that, Sean Penn, though. No. Sean Penn's writing oh the great American God, novel. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, don't read Sean Penn's book. That one is one that is not going to be on a. What about a... the Anti Book Club? 
about books not to read. Well, yeah, were you purposely it's just like this nasty list of like mean shit? You say I don't know if I'm allowed to do that, like as a literary agent. Uh, but oh man, I'm, yeah, that, I don't think Sean has legs. I don't think Sean uh, yeah. Sean Penn's book would even be on like Sean Penn's book club. Yeah. Quite honestly. Anyway. Um. Yeah. Anyway, so that is all to say, you know, like it sucks. We know, but it's probably not harming you. It's actually probably helping you. And um, it's not us, so don't be mad at us. Uh, with that, we will uh, bring an end to this joke-filled episode, uh, and we will see you for a regular episode next week. Bye.